0: Hey, Collaborist. I'm Ben Leroy. And I'm Jason Buckholz, And you are listening to CollaborCast. How's it going, Jay? I'm doing all right. You're back home, back from Salida. I am back from Salida. I'd like to thank everyone there who made the trip awesome. And I would like to thank the town in general. Specifically, I want to thank again uh, the co-host of the Salida Writers, Anita Mum and my good friend Carl Ortman, the artist, who introduced me to painting. It was good to catch up with everybody, and I am home, as you mentioned, briefly, but next week, I'm getting on an airplane, and I'm heading out your way, and I'm hoping that at some point, we can catch up in person, maybe do some more cool Instagram theatrics like we did last year, when we just totally blew apart the internet's mind by walking back and forth and seamlessly moving the camera between the two of us to explain head hopping. I don't remember how many, budget. I don't remember how many web Emmys we got for that, but I quit counting at a hundred. I don't know.
1: Should be quite spectacular in those Santa Cruz mountains right now. It's
0: definitely fall here. What kind of temperatures do you have? Yes, yes, I get it, people. You don't like the weather, but this is actually relevant to me since I'll be headed out that way. Got uh, chilly mornings and warm afternoons at the moment. What do you think my odds are of getting an earthquake two trips in a row is? We never know. Never
1: have any idea. That's the magic of earthquakes. Yeah, they're unpredictable. come when they come, yep. What do you got
0: on the old reading stack at the moment?
1: Same. The Barry, the Barry Lopez Arctic Dreams, and uh, the sentence Luis Erdrich both enjoying those quite a bit. Excellent. Um, I don't think I talked about. Did I talk about Demon Copperhead? Barbara Kingsolver. I think I might have nope. left that out in my. Yeah, I think you my left that December out. reading stack. So that was the audio book. I listened to before the Barry Lopez and I, I think it fits into today's topic.
0: Oh, excellent.
1: Demon Copperhead. It's Barbara Kingsolver's latest. It is a, uh, it's roughly perhaps more than roughly patterned after David Copperfield. It's a story of an orphan. Um, It's set in Appalachia. It's a story of a boy who uh, is foster goes into the foster system and she as a middle-aged slash upper middle age going into beyond middle-aged woman writes about this Appalachian boy with incredible convincingness there's a word that I'm not thinking of but it, it is completely immersive and I had to go read about her I've read books of hers before, but this one, it was so, I was like, how, how did this character not write this book himself? Wow. This is so immersive and it is so convincing and it feels so what I imagine to be very realistic to the area, the vernacular, the culture that I had to, and she, she lives there now. She's not from there, but that, but she lives there now, but I had to just, I had to read about where she's lived and, 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 when she's lived to to try to understand how she how she did this so today's topic is writing what you know Indeed. and i just I, I didn't get i didn't get how she was able to do such an amazing job of writing about an experience that is is was different than hers growing up and then i you know she lives there now and is immersed in that part of the the country and Beyond that, she must just be absorbing the truth of the area
0: in ways that I think only an artist of her stature can. Sure. And we are going to cover writing what you know on this week's episode of Collaboracast. It's one of those adages that is thrown around. It's an adage that in today's market may have some enhanced meanings more so than it would have a decade ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. It's definitely one that is up for debate and discussion. For me personally, as someone who reads books coming in from clients but also reads things that have been published, there is an immediate disinterest in a book When I start reading it and I realize that I am pulled completely out of the world because it doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't feel like it is true to how it would be. And this is not simply a matter of, well, it's fiction. It can be whatever it wants. I don't just accept that as a blanket response. I think it's still very important that we have the sense of authenticity and believability when we're reading a book. It's very much. When I start pulling on the emergency break, beating through work, when I say to myself, this does not feel like a human who has experienced this has written this. And I would say that the way to write with authenticity and conviction along those lines comes from two different places and often a combination of the two. And it is, this is my lived-in experience, and i have done a whole lot of research about this even though it's not my lived in experience and it's clear to me when those two things or neither of those two things is in effect do you do you spot it do you feel it do you see it when it happens yes
1: yes certainly you know in this recent example i was more kind of blown away by the Opposite of it, <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't. I, I not having any specific examples spring to mind. Probably because those aren't books that end up getting published. Um, I'm trying to think back through unpublished, the many unpublished manuscripts I've read. Um, I think. I think there can be a tendency, you know, you were talking about the, the past that some authors give themselves saying, well, this is fiction. It can be, it can be whatever I want it to be. And while there is, there is a certain truth to that you can have, I, I've been thinking a lot about the, the contract with the reader. And I think we could do a whole episode on this at some future point, but that that's kind of been a living topic for me lately. Mm-hmm. Um, in in terms of uh, some feedback that i've that i've been sharing with a couple of different writers but i i think that when you if you if you're going to stretch i guess the similarity is that there's a certain consistency a certain immersive quality that that a work can have and when the author it's just it's 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 difficult to maintain that you have to be very careful and deliberate about how you maintain that immersion how you how you maintain that that suspension of disbelief and i think that when you as an author stretch a little too far and you say okay well now something i I've it's the midpoint of the manuscript i need to have something really crazy happen now and then it it and and you can do that, but the way that you do that can really make the difference between the reader either following along with you or saying, no, I'm not I'm not buying this. It's like I, I get that this is a novel. I get that this is a fictional world and anything can happen. But this doesn't feel this doesn't feel authentic to the novel's own rules, to the novel's own. There's a lack of an internal consistency here.
0: Yeah, that's really at the heart of it is, are you making me believe that I am existing in this world and that I am witness bearing in this world that you have created, that you have invited me into? Do I find you a credible source for this story? And I don't, this is not talking about the reliability of the narrator. It's talking about the credibility and the reliability of the author to tell a particular story set in particular environs
1: i think you you i i liked your two points about either having lived the experience or having really done a lot of research and of course there are many authors who are writing in fantasy genres or science fiction genres or or things that are not possible to have fully lived of course i mean any of those genres are going to have relationship dynamics and character arcs and those sorts of things that that an author would draw upon their own experiences in order to make those realistic but you know there are there are other aspects of it that require some 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 pretty careful thought and a lot of consistency and i think i think there was one manuscript that You and I both read, this is an unpublished manuscript that you and I read over the last year. And in this particular manuscript, there was a a piece of technology that kind of popped up about halfway through the manuscript that was not, it was not something that was, that doesn't exist in, in quote unquote real life. And everything about this novel was attempting to be realistic at that up until that point. And so, you know, in terms of the, the contract with the reader, I was, you know, the, the kind of the agreement between this author and the reader was that this is, this is the normal world. You can expect things to kind of operate as they typically do. And then all of a sudden there was this piece of technology sitting in someone's living room apartment that felt much more like science fiction. And there wasn't, much of a so so that that can happen I mean that that I'm sure that there are actual technologies out there in someone's living room that would blow my mind if I saw them and make me question reality but the the I think that the the difference in how you handle that so the the characters just kind of accepted it's like okay this is just a thing and that is what threw me off. That was, that's what kind of threw me out of that particular dream. If the characters had been like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. I didn't know that such a thing existed. Then I would have stayed in there. I would have felt like, okay, they're reflecting my real reaction. That's the same thing I'm thinking. So I'm, I'm still here with them. They, they're, they're still
0: apt vessels for my, for, you know, to keep me in this storyline. Yeah. Your protagonist in that case, is a proxy for you and your thoughts. And yeah, you're right, that if there's not a good reason why they understand something and we don't, in a world, in a book that has already been set up, that we should understand everything that's going on and that we've got all of the shared touch points and commonalities, it it makes a big difference. Have you found that you read something written about California or the Bay Area and your immediate thought is the author has not actually been here or experienced this? I, I don't think I've
1: had, I you know, I, I don't think I've had that particular experience, but as a writer, I found myself, so there's a there's a, a, a novel that I'm in the very beginning. So I've got, you know, the novel that you published, I've got a novel that I'm almost done writing. I have a third novel that I've begun outlining. I've, I've pretty thoroughly outlined and have begun writing. And the the first two novels are set in California. The third one, I wanted to set it somewhere new. I spent a year living, I did my junior year in England. And over the course of that year, I was able to spend about eight weeks traveling around Europe and the Middle East, Egypt. And I, you know, obviously that was an incredibly rich experience. And as a writer, I've always kind of thought it was like, well, how can I can I bring that, you know, bring what I learned, bring what I experienced into my work at some point. So I began to write this novel and I had it set in in England. I lived in the city of Sheffield which is kind of like right smack dab in the middle of the, of the, of the island. Um, It is in, in Southern Yorkshire. And so I, I started writing it there and then I moved it to London. And then at some point I, I was like, I can't, I can't do this. This is not convincing at all. Like I'm not convinced myself. Like I don't, I spent a lot of time there, but I don't, I didn't know it with anywhere near i was like if i if i set this here in california it's going to be so much better it's going to be so much richer i'm not going to have to labor to create the scenes to even you know describing what the inside of a restaurant was i realize i'm drawing more on pop culture than my own experiences or whatever so i'm i'm going to completely toss that out and when i do get back to restarting it i'm going to set it here in california because i just i know i'm not going to have to think about i'm going to be able to focus on the characters and the relationships and the story rather than having to labor so hard to to create this other place now in a paper sun as you know big chunks of it do take place in 1920s southern china which is not a not a place i'm super familiar with but I did a lot of research in that case. I did a lot, I did, I, I read everything I could get my hands on. It's, and it's also a very, you know, it was, it's a, a rice, it, rice horticulture is it, it, largely unchanged in places like rural Vietnam, rural China. Like it's, things are not that different now than they were, you know, people have phones and satellite connections, but, the process of rice farming hasn't really changed much they're still using you know the same technologies the same methods these traditional communities so i i had some advantage in in that i could write about this very remote time but you know that's something that i really admire people who can really evoke
0: distant times and places what sort of stuff do you do to do your research and how did you feel called to setting part of the paper sun in southern china
1: well it's there is a nugget of a true story in there of some family history and my grandmother was still alive at the time that i wrote it and so i was pumping her for information basically getting her to try to remember these things that happened when she was a girl, six, seven, eight years old, um, read books. I went to, uh, you know, there's not very much written. There was, there was only one book that I could find about um, about the steamships, about what like the steerage quarters were. This would take a month to sail back and forth. There was only one source that I could really find, and it happens to be by a, a local guy here, here in the Bay Area. And so I was able to go hear him talk and meet him and introduce myself to him and um, have some conversations with him. I think he actually even came to one of my readings, but his, he's, he is acknowledged in, in, in the back of the book for, for his work and his just looking into something that really no one else has looked into. Um, you know, there, were some nas- there was a, a, a National Geographic article that that revealed some things. Amy Tan was. It was actually an article that Amy Tan had written in National Geographic, and this article contained uh, the only description that I've been able to find anywhere of this particular shamanic ceremony. And I, I used that heavily um, as a, as a piece of source material to to write this one particular scene to such a degree that that it was actually the the photographs of this of this ritual that, uh, so Amy and this photographer named Lynn Johnson had traveled to Southern China to, to write about this village. And this photographer took these incredible photographs that were, that really inspired a, a big pivotable moment in, in my novel. And so I, I got in contact with the photographer. I sent her a copy of the book and told her how much her work had meant. And, and, um, yeah, I got a nice note back from her.
0: Was it the same village where your grandmother had grown up?
1: No, but it was in the same part of, it was in the same general area. So similar, similar culture, similar topography.
0: Was she open to discussing her childhood with you? She was, she just couldn't remember very much of it at first. So I just,
1: I kept asking her questions and then, and she was like, I don't remember. I don't remember. And then, and then it kind of jogged her memory and it started to to bring things back. And she I remember one day, I think it was at Thanksgiving, she was like, I remembered the name of the village. And so, you know, if I hadn't have just been asking her and jogging her memory, that that information would have been lost. Yeah. So everybody go talk to your go talk to the elders. Get all the information
0: you can from them right now before it's too late. Definitely a very important thing that I would also encourage. I've read things that have come into us where they are set in cities. And it is very clear to me that the author has never been to that city. I had somebody writing about Chicago, and Chicago is a city where I've spent a fair amount of time. Their description of Chicago was so devoid of any detail or of any fact that I couldn't help but ask have you ever been to Chicago and the author hadn't and when I was explaining that you have two options at that point don't include detail because if you're including detail and it's not the right detail it'll pull people or go to chicago or or do some actual research so that you can see how the city works and the city looks and the city sounds i really encourage people that if they're going to write about a place that they familiarize themselves with the place and that's not done just by looking on google maps and saying like oh yeah then they passed the dollar general on the corner of that's not That's not doing it. You need to be able to get into the marrow of a town or a city and be able to understand what makes it go and then draw on that. Part of my book is written in 1984 in Madison, on the north side of Madison, where I grew up. And I remember everything, I know where things were. And if I have a Slightly cloudy memory, I'll ask somebody who was also there, but I know that I can write about it in a way that somebody telling a story about Madison, my protagonist in this case, it's clear that they have lived there and that they are seeing these places on a day-to-day basis. The other part of my book, the, the largest setting, is northwest Nebraska, and I went there. And I hung out with locals and I drove around and I had so many prior conceptions of what it was going to be like in Northwest Nebraska that were so, so, so wrong. And it wasn't until I got there and walked around and talked to people that I learned how off things were. And I think about if I had written the book and gone out with it in its earlier incarnations when I didn't know what Northwest Nebraska was, when I finally made it there, I would have seen that it was completely different and I would have been so mad at myself for putting something out into the world that did not accurately reflect the place. It's lazy and uh, lazy writing and lazy storytelling is something that it's not my favorite.
1: <laughs> well, I think we talked a couple of weeks ago about the difference between what you think you know and what you know. We talked about thinking you have something to say and actually having something to say. So this is this is related in that you know we all think we know things. We think you know I have I've, I have my experience with Chicago has been O'Hare airport so but I have you know certain conceptions about what it is I'm sure that they are as wrong as your conceptions were about northwestern Nebraska so um
0: this question comes oh I'm sorry go ahead
1: yeah I was just gonna say that that we are saturated by media at all times like there's nothing that we don't have you know, you spend a, spend some time online, you're going to start to develop conceptions about everything out there in the world. And it is important to distinguish between what you're being fed via those channels and what you actually know to be true via from personal experience. And, and it does make a big difference. We've read, you know, there are so many I couldn't think of a of an example specifically of reading something that didn't feel like it was by a, a a native Californian or someone who really knows the area. But I've certainly had lots of reading experiences where it's like, oh, this person is writing a book like the way they think books should be written. Like there's mm-hmm. just like, okay, there are these are tropes, they're hitting these beats. Like this is they th- this is a this is a slightly processed version of all of these other things that they've read or seen on this topic. And it's just like, it's their own twist on it, but it's not like, there's nothing original here. There's no insight. There's there, it doesn't have that perspective of like, I'm going to tell you something now that you don't know about this place. And I'm the only person that can tell you this particular thing.
0: I used to say on the submission guidelines when I was still acquiring things that I didn't want organized crime. I didn't want military. I didn't want lettered government agency perspectives and books unless someone had actually lived that. And in many cases, I didn't even want it then. But the way that people create derivative art with less experience and less understanding than the first version of it, the the work with from which it is being derived, it becomes cartoonish. It becomes a parody of itself. It's yeah easy to sort of pick apart.
1: You're reminded of making copies of cassette tapes, as I'm sure we both used to do, and you'd make that one copy be all right. By the time you get to that There's third or fourth copy, your Van Halen was not really sounding very Van Halen-y anymore.
0: Eddie was not shredding <laughs> as much as he was underwater doing something yeah, weird. The question came in today, More, it was a more specific question that somebody asked, and I thought that it would be a good jumping off place for writing what you know. And that was, how do you write about Specific experiences that are traumatic. That are life altering. That could trigger. Trigger readers. If you have not actually experienced them. And what sort of obligation do you have to the reader? What obligation do you have. For getting it right. Or not saying too much. And I think that's a really valid. Question because you don't, it's an unforced error to write something that is going to ring hollow or trigger people because of its inaccuracy or its poor portrayal of something that you do need to be mindful and care about it. And simply saying that I was just being creative and making it up is lazy and it's an excuse and it's not an excuse that anyone needs to accept and i think it comes back
1: to doing the research um you know if like like you said in you know, there they're, the, the the job of literature of art in general is to reflect the the human condition and so i, I you know all topics are and should be examined and addressed by by writers by artists um, but there, like you said, there is, there are, are varying levels of responsibility when it, when it comes to that. And if you're writing about something that has the potential to trigger readers that is, you know, may get into some, some psychological processes, then it's, it's really on you as the writer to do some research, do some reading, reach out, talk to talk to people get get you know ask people who have been through it to to read your work and learn how to listen to what they have to say without getting defensive
0: and sometimes it may be too that you're not reaching out to the people who have necessarily been through it but you're reaching out to people who have counseled people who have been through it and they can say this feels like somebody coming to me this feels similar to what people have come to me and said, because reaching out to people who have actually experienced certain traumas, etc, they're under no obligation to read your work. and if it comes with an emotional or a psychic harm potential that you can't predict, then you don't want to just saddle people with that or expect that they will do it out of the goodness of their heart or because they don't want you to make a mistake. There are resources available to check your accuracy and you should definitely take advantage of them. This is that, I have a, a quick story
1: about that process. It's in a slightly different topical area, but when you were talking about lettered government agencies, so I have a, in the book I'm writing now, I have a character who's in the DEA And I had, he's not a, he's, he's a significant character, but he's not kind of one of the central characters. He's slightly periphery, but peripheral. Um, I had him kind of going through this, this sequence of events and doing his thing in the plot. And I wanted to, I wanted to check and see if I was close to doing this correctly. So I have a, I have a, a good friend who's a Berkeley police officer. I asked him if he knew anybody. Turns out he knows a DEA agent here in the Bay area, I think out of the Oakland office. So he set me up with an, uh, an interview with this guy. I spent about half an hour on the phone with him. And I kind of described to him the, the, the different movements, kind of the big the the big beats, the big movements, the big kind of plot points. And the the main thing that he said was like there would be a lot of paperwork. Like that would like this 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 would require all kinds of paperwork. This would require all kinds of paperwork. So that was that was the take home. It was like okay, if I'm going to have this guy going and doing this set of things, then I need to he needs to take a whole day to do the accompanying paperwork. So, it's, it's like that'll... an
0: un, it's an unsexy <laughs> truth and realization about it because you want to believe it's just forward somersaults and gun battles. And right. Nope, it's, the adrenaline level isn't quite as high Swinging as all that. Swinging in through windows,
1: yeah. He's like, no, it's just the main thing you got wrong is the amount of paperwork that we have to do. It's like, all right.
0: In the last five years, maybe... Decade, there is within the publishing world been a constant conversation about who can write about the experiences of demographics that are outside of their own and what sort of process should they have with regard to getting a sensitivity reader or just doing more research than than what you might see on TV as the basis for it. That's something that is shaking out still. I don't have any super prediction, any clarity about where that's going to be. I know that there is no monolithic answer to it. I think some people are very adamant that you should allow people to tell their own stories. And I also recognize that what we mean by those words, again, is not a monolithic experience. There is an existent uncertainty about the evolution of that guidance that is present in the marketplace today. And if you decide to write a story, and you know, maybe kind of like the Barbara Kingsolver one that you were just talking about, that you may get some pushback asking who are you to tell this story. And I think Barbara Kingsolver can probably get away with writing from whatever perspective Barbara Kingsolver wants to. But it could happen. I'm just letting you know right now that if you choose to write a protagonist for whatever reason that does not match your general background, you probably are going to get some questions from agents, from publishers. Again, it's not a monolithic thing. It's not going to bother everybody, but it is just because of the cultural conversations that we're having in America writ large. This is part of the equation at the moment in a certain way, and it doesn't matter. If you think that it should or shouldn't be, what whatever whatever your thoughts on the matter are, you're entitled to them. It's just it is a factual consideration at this point, and it's something that you should go into knowing. I've been thinking about this a lot lately.
1: So with the paper son, it uh, you know my own family stories are at the core of it. You know my family is from southern China. Um, the the book that I'm writing now focuses more on the, the Mexican immigration experience, the, you know, coming across the desert, coming across the border. And that's not my family history. I grew up in a neighborhood that was largely Mexican. I had mostly Mexican friends, uh, spent a lot of time in their homes with their parents who spoke little to no English. Um, and I'm really writing about you know, it's, it's the, that, that, that sense of otherness that kind of lingers through the generations after an immigration, after, you know, a, an international immigration. But I've been thinking about it because I, I am expecting that there could be some pushback, that there could be some criticism, some, you know, who are you to think you can tell this story. And, um, you know, I think I, 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 I am not fool like there will be some people i think who will who will no won't care what i have to say in response to that. I'll just say no this isn't your lived experience you shouldn't be writing this. So um you know i guess this book won't be for them.
0: Yeah. Again this is just the current reality of agenting publishing and I- it is something to be aware of. I
1: think this was really brought to the fore a few years ago when, when there was a book that came out also about Mexico that was really done in a fairly, it, it, it made heavy use of some stereotypes and some pretty tired tropes. And I think that there was some pretty widespread, there was some widespread perception that, that this was, it was done in a pretty disrespectful way. So I think that that's, if you have a question, if you have a question about it, just be as respectful as possible. Do do as much research as you can and just be as respectful as possible.
0: And you're not going to please everyone all the time. I definitely have had books even 15 years ago that came across my desk where people were writing from a different perspective. And it was very clear that they were writing way outside of any experience or knowledge base it was it was abundantly clear that they were doing that and i would point it out even back then before it was part of a conversation like i don't you know what are you what are you writing here like why are you writing this story and people wanting to write for a variety of reasons, but ultimately what your reasoning is, is considered against what your ability is to tell a convincing story. And it doesn't matter if you just want to be You want to write an exciting story about this thing that you had a dream about. And these are the people like that's not sufficient. And I'm not obviously I'm not the arbiter. I don't get to tell you what to write or what not to write. I don't get to tell you you're a bad person if you're writing something like that. I'm just saying that as a reader and as somebody who has been involved in the acquisition of books, authenticity and realness and world building and feeling like I am immersed in a story is so critical to what feels like this is worth acquiring. This is worth putting effort into. This is worth birthing into the world. And that's, I think, going to be just a constant. It's always going to be that way for me, at least. Well, we look forward to any your
1: feedback. If anyone has thoughts about this topic, please join us in the comments. If you have particular books or works that you think do a particularly good job of this or a bad job, let us know. Join the conversation.
0: If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I want to thank you number one producer, Caitlin Farrell, who is behind the scenes right now and making everything look and go smooth, I want to encourage you all to do your writing and have fun with it, and also realize that for some folks, it exceeds entertainment and becomes sort of a holy vocation, and that some of us are going to read it accordingly. And that is it from here. I believe that there's a million other things that I wanted to say, except I really do love everyone who's listening to this podcast. Thank you. And if you're inclined, we've been stuck on nine ratings in the Apple podcast store for a while. So if you just wanted to, like, bump that up, I don't even really care what star level you pick. And if you wanted to write a review, you know, that's also awesome. And if there are future topics that you would like us to cover on the podcast, go ahead and send those to info at and we will do our best to address them. For story. For community. Collab. Collab-r-